Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, hi there. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. <laughs> Did you like that intro? Yeah. Welcome to Don't Miss This. It's our, this is our scripture study podcast in class. We're so happy that you're here front row uh, for this. We're moving through the New Testament right now. We are in the book of Ephesians today. We are in the writings and letters of Paul, who is becoming a dear friend of ours. We love As him. we move through this. I really am. I think Either you forget every four years, I don't know, you come back every four years or something like that. But I really am like, in my mind, I knew I loved Paul. But, but it's you, different. Right. But if you'd ask, why do you love him? I have to be in it to actually realize like, oh, I just, I don't know. There's so much about. And for some reason, don't you feel like in the New Testament, you get to know him so good. Right. Like more than other people. Like yeah. it really does feel like he's your friend. Yeah. Because it's like his, these are his letters. These are his actual words, his thoughts, his feelings. He's talking about things he's struggling with and and working through and and he's encouraging people and you realize like how much he cares about people that and you think your life would have been so much better if had you just um not taken that road to Damascus and by better I mean like more comfortable like your life mm. probably could have you could have avoided a lot of heartache a lot of struggle had you um not been obedient to the call but there is a courage in in his obedience and there's something you're just it's inspiring to see somebody really just shift the an entire shift of their whole life that like the decision was made that quickly i guess we should say to change everything and i i just so encouraged by him i can't wait to meet him all the above we love him yeah and this book ephesians so oh so we have uh the the tippins and this tippin you'll see written on it and remember, these are just sort of like a, here's the estimated time period that it was written in. Here's kind of the what Ephesus was like. And a couple things that are like, oh, don't miss this. Like almost like a little table of contents for the book of Ephesians. And then there's this white space here and on the back where you can kind of write an extra. Oh, I don't want to forget that I love this section right here. For example, you already are going to want to write, oh, it's already on here. The love of Christ, but I want to call it Paul's prayer. That's mm. what we're going to call it in the lesson. So uh, anyways, there's some, um, this is the tip in for it. And what's written in the paragraph is the next couple of books are his prison letters. So at the very, very end, you remember when we read the book of Acts, that Paul goes to talk to um, Bernice, remember old Bernice <laughs> and King Agrippa, and he says, I want to go to Rome, and he gets um, <laughs> shipwrecked on the way to Rome, and then eventually he makes it to Rome. And there in Rome is where Bible scholars think that these, a couple of these letters were written when he was in prison there in the city of Rome. And so this is one of the prison letters. And I think that's helpful to think about as you read this one and the next, a couple of them, the next few, where you're just like, well, you were behind bars when you wrote these letters. So the things that you say sort of have, a just keep that in mind as you read, where you're just like, your optimism, your hope that you display, like that's really easy when you're in a really comfortable, happy situation. Uh, when you're at a high school graduation, you know, it's a great time to stand up and talk about, man, we can do anything <laughs> or whatever. But when you're behind bars, there is something that is even more 
uh, compelling about what Paul says when you know that. And even I feel like in those moments, you almost start to talk about things that in your head matter more. You know, that yeah. you're just like all of a sudden like, oh, let me make sure that I say like things that I actually really want you to know that are important to me. Just because it's kind of like a little bit more of a deeper life circumstance. Yeah, you, you know? start, it's like walking away from a funeral. You start to think yeah. about your life. Yeah. I'm sure being in jail does something similar. Where you're yeah. like, Let's think about our life choices, you know? For am sure. I actually, this would be a great time for Paul to consider and think, am I actually happy about the decision that I made? Because look where it got me. Yeah, right. And it's so endearing to me for him to talk about. You, you'll, he calls himself a prisoner, a, a prisoner of Christ or something, a phrase like that where he's just like, oh, Jesus went to jail too. Is sort of the idea of that. And he feels a kinship to Jesus because of the way he was persecuted and, and because of the way that he was uh, treated badly. Like He was like, this is actually, the Messiah was treated so poorly. So as his disciple, why would I expect anything different? And that's, we, put, we called today's lesson put on Jesus because it seems as if he, this is exactly what Paul's doing, where he's just like, listen, this is a battle. Like I, I, I was met on the road. I learned who he was. I learned about his grace and his salvation. But now we're battling for the cause, the cause of Christ. He invited me into this cause and it is an uphill cause. And I wouldn't choose to do anything else, but it is definitely a battle. And so today we're going to talk about a couple of different things that he teaches about that this is the gifts God has given. This is the grace God has given. This is the the goodness. I just had to pick another G word because I was on a roll, you know, <laughs> that God has given to get us through this battle, you know, to come out victorious and not just survive, right? Not just make it through life, but he's called us into a greater cause, like a greater work. Like, I don't want to just make it to the end, like stay, you know, I know there's great value and stay in the boat, don't leave. But Paul's like, okay, I don't, I don't want to just not abandon ship. I actually, we have a work to do and I want to be a part of it. And it's cool to to think about those two together. P.S. We're recording on Grace's birthday, which I just barely (laughs) thought of. So if you notice an extra sparkle in her, it's because it's her birthday Birthday right this very second. Okay. So let's jump in uh, to this first lesson in Ephesians. Uh, Let's go over to the map so you can just see for any of you who are watching and you're into this kind of nerdy stuff, geography or whatever history, I kind of am. I like it. Back in Acts chapter 19 is where you learned about Paul going to the city of Ephesus. Now, at the end of all of his missions, he's in Rome, which is not on the map. But now he's writing a letter back to the people of Ephesus, which, again, is so cool that you're like, you're in jail. Why are you concerned about the welfare of these people? Shows you something about how he felt about them that he's like, okay, oh my gosh, I got to... Or there was just nothing else to do in jail. What so, are they? Hey, hey, the first one sounded nicer. <laughs> the first one was better. Fine. I'm going with A. I'm picking A. Um, and so right here in Turkey, and he writes this, notice it's a port city. So that's going to be important when you start thinking about, oh, when he starts talking about this first part about unity and coming all together, like any port city is definitely a place where there's going to be a lot of diverse thoughts and a lot of people from different backgrounds and a lot of ideas are coming from different places here. And so when he talks about it, you can think to yourself, oh, this is, this is a melting pot kind of place. Which is cool. Because port cities aren't as big of a deal right now, 
But I feel like everywhere kind of became a port city that we live in in our world right now because of phones, you know? For sure. Such big access that almost it's like, oh, wait, this is actually going to be relevant to us because we sort of live in a port city time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Really cool thought. So he starts off at the beginning of Ephesians chapter one. And I, I just want to point out how cool the very beginning of this is. Paul's got this style of teaching where... This letter actually is split right down the middle. If you just want to go a sneak peek, because we're going to be jumping around. But if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it starts with the word therefore. So chapters 1 through 3 are actually Paul talking about this is the story of the gospel. Therefore, let's walk and act in this way that we can help bring this story to everybody else. Like he's just known for that. He's like, let me teach you the gospel, the good news. Now, because of this, how should we respond to that? So I love at the beginning of his, some of his best stuff is at the beginning of his letters. And right here, there's just this really neat thing that you can just start looking through where he's just in verse three, you're blessed be God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ, or because of Christ. He's chosen us in him, verse four. We live in his love, end of verse four. In verse five, having predestined us unto the adoption, meaning this has been something he's been hoping for and planning on for a really long time before you ever came on the scene. And so a lot of times, like as you go through this, we start, we think to ourselves, I always wonder what my standing is with other people. You know, you're always kind of thinking that, right? You're like, am I, are we on good terms? Are, are they, you, you know. Do you care more about me than I care about you? Exactly, yeah. exactly. All of those things. Um, am, am I loved? Am I giving too much? Am I, you know, all these kind of yeah. things. And I like that he, all, he consistently comes back and he says, your identity is in Jesus. You didn't earn your way here which means you can't mistake your way out of here. Mm. And he's, I love how he starts letters and, and he wants to begin like that. And then he gets to the cause, the great cause of Jesus in verse 10. And he says, in the dispensation of the fullness of times that he might gather together in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. That his intention all along was to go back to Genesis chapter one. Right, all heaven and earth combined together and all one big human family. He called the family of Abraham to go take the rescue to the rest of the world. And the family of Abraham, the descendants, started to think it was only about them. And Paul's pushing back on this to say, like, no, his intention is everything restored and brought back all together, all gathered in. One. This is all through the Doctrine and Covenants, which we'll get into, oh, not next year, in two years. <laughs> the idea of Zion, that whole concept of like one heart, one mind. You can read a little bit more about that in chapter four. I would add chapter four onto this, where you just encircle every time it uses the word one. Okay, starting in verse three, the word unity of the spirit. There is one body, verse four, one spirit one hope. Verse five, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse six, one God and father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. 
And I love how there is in that end of that verse, this idea of like, we're all one, one huge family, right? Seen as one, but also seen as a bunch of ones. Does that make sense? So in seven, he says, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Each one of us are seen as individuals and known as individuals and given gifts as individuals so that we might all come together in the, in the unity of the faith. One, just one big happy family is the intention of the father and the son. And it seems like he's teaching that right at the very beginning. And, and the idea of, so that's why he pushes so much against like dissension and our, and when he was there back in Acts chapter 19, remember there was a big fight and he's just like, we can't just like say, well then, remember there was that battle that they had over the people who were mad that he was ruining their business of making idols and stuff like that. And, and, and he's not going to just take that attitude of like, oh, well, well, just then you guys are out. If you can't accept it, then you're out. But he sees it as no, all God cares about every one of us and that all of us will come together in in a unity in Christ. Like the father is not going to be done until all of his children are brought in. And I love that there's almost, when you say it like that, especially, it seems big. Like you're like, uh, I don't actually know how that's going to work and if it's going to actually work. And especially in a place like this, where all of us are so different. And I love that in chapter one, he starts and he's like, let me tell you the reason you are capable of this. And it's just at that end in verse four, he's like, oh, you actually are already loved. And I feel like sometimes like that's a battle that we all face is that I don't want to love them because I don't know if they love me back. So I'm just going to like, I don't want to mess with that. I just want to make sure that like we're on good terms. And he's like, wait, you actually are already loved. Mm. So now you can love other people because you can know 100% confidently you are taken care of. Mm. You are loved. So now you're fine. Yeah. Now go. Right. You got it. Right. And, and that's that, that message of his, right? Yeah. You're saved, you're loved. Now in that love and in that new identity, go out and bring other people in because it's not like the, the monkeys on the bed, you know, where one rolled over and another <laughs> fell out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Remember, like, <laughs> yes. like if we bring people in, it doesn't push anybody out, yeah. right? It just, there's room for everybody here. And, and, and it doesn't degrade your status or your identity for God to love and take care of and look after other people. And so it's not scarce. No. Yes. He is a God of abundance. Every time he's multiplying, he's making more room. He's making, you know, anyways. So it's, I love that he just starts off with that really cool concept. Um, next, he's going to go in chapter two and he begins to talk about a subject that is a little bit big. You know, he starts unpacking a subject that even just in religion today is still a really big topic and conversation. And he starts, he decides that he's going to start talking about grace. And he does it in such an interesting way that he... Grace. You just wanted this one. <laughs> no wonder you wanted this one. It's me, my name, I win. Um, I love that he's going to unpack it in two of the most important ways that you can understand grace. And he starts out in a really interesting way in verse one, already at the beginning, he's going to start by saying, listen, you like, you are dead. That is, it's funny that that word sticks out to me so much, but he uses it a lot when he's talking about grace. He uses it in verse two and you are going to see it again in verse five, 
um, the word dead, that's where he has a start. And it's interesting because usually when we think about grace, we think about being saved. And it makes me think, this is like a funny thing to think about, but it matches in my head, is like moments that you need saving. And for some reason, it makes me think of drowning. Like if you're in a pool and you are drowning, your instinct is to swim. You're like, I have to fix this. I have to save myself. I have to get myself out. Yeah, and I think, get to the buoy that they throw. Stay yeah, afloat until the lifeguard comes. Hold your whatever. breath as yeah. long as you possibly can. Like you are flailing your arms and your legs. And I think sometimes when the conversation of grace begins, that's what we imagine. Mm-hmm. Is us like swimming, swimming, swimming as much as we can, trying to save ourselves. And then Jesus is going to be the lifeguard and get us. But it's interesting because he doesn't say in verse like one or five that we like are like drowning and we like are trying to swim to save ourselves. He actually says that we were dead. It was too late. Yeah. Right? There was no hope for us. That was going to be it. Like, we started already dead. There wasn't a moment for us to save ourselves because it was too late, which all of a sudden changes grace for me because that makes it so much more powerful. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't like we even stood a chance. He said, actually, let me save you when everyone else says that it was too late. In an impossible situation, when you were too far gone, that's when I'm going to save you. Yeah. And, and, he, and he says that even in verse 9, where because verse 8, yeah. he says, by grace you are saved through faith, meaning like all you had to do was believe and trust like that, right? And he says, not of yourselves. Yeah. And that was even a gift. Like yeah. the fact that you could trust is even a gift given to you. Yeah. And he says it at the end. It's the gift of God. So 9 uh, let's not have anybody boasting about this. Let's like, just accept it as a gift. Like, yes. Like, uh, let it let it be a gift to you. And not even just a little bit, uh, like not even a little gift, but like one that takes your breath away when you realize. Yeah. That you're just like, oh, there's no way this is that good. Yeah. You know? And it is. In verse 5, that's what he wants to say. He says, you were dead. Let me tell you the solution. It's grace. Yeah. And, and the argument back is like, I'm not good enough for that. I haven't done yeah. enough for it. It's like, exactly. The goodness is on God. It's not about you. Let him be the hero of salvation. Let him, like. He's the main character. Yeah. Let it, let, be amazed by it. You're supposed to be amazed by it. You're supposed to drop to, you know, to, to your knees and praise yeah. and honor and glory. Like. Let and let it be that, you know? And don't you want it to be that good, you know? Even because we, like, if someone got saved at a pool and they were drowning and they were flailing and someone got them out, like, you would be like, that was, you would tell all your friends that you witnessed that. Yes. And he wants to come in and say, oh, actually, it's even bigger than that. Right. You know? Like, what once was dead, he is actually going to save that. Like, let him be that good. Let him be the main character, you know? Right. But then there's this moment that he's like, wait, this isn't just about salvation. This is also about exaltation because with grace, you can't forget that it does both. And I love that when he unpacks grace, he wants you to know that it's that good, but he also wants you to know that it gets better. Mm. You know, yeah. that's the purpose of grace is that it's not just as good as the saving, but there's actually more, which you almost like you already couldn't believe that the saving was that good. But all of a sudden, there's a next, like, part two of the best gift ever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. And sometimes grace is a little bit hard to figure out for anyone, for me. for That's my name, and I still can't figure <laughs> it out. Oh, my, you would think that my mom taught me more. But there's this, like, I love 
there's this little list that we compiled from verses all throughout this chapter of words that might make grace make a little bit more sense. Mm. That all of a sudden, it even starts in verse six, right after he says, okay, you were dead. Grace saved you. Jesus actually Wink. saved you. Did you see that? Yes. In, in verse five. This is my favorite awesome. part. He's like, by grace you're saved. Wink. Is that good? <laughs> um, and then in verse six, automatically you see the language that he's describing grace and change. And he says, oh, listen, you are actually raised up. There's an elevating system here that is not just going to be you sitting in that moment, but it's actually going to level up. Yeah, and, and it's awesome that the word together is there. He hath raised us up together. Like in it, grace is still a part of this raising up process. You get to too. stay connected to right. him. Right. And it's interesting because even when you think about the pool, after that happened, after that moment of like, oh, he just saved me from something that I could have never done on my own. You, like, as a parent, as a lifeguard, as whoever you want the person that saved you to be, would never just, like, be like, okay, like, that was that. That was crazy. You'd say, okay, now let's learn together. Let's Mm -hmm. figure it out. Let's help you become something more than you were so that next time I will still save you 100 times. But what if there was improvement? Mm. What if you became someone in this journey? And the rest of these words, I think, are so pretty because all of a sudden it starts out and it's quickened and it's rich in mercy and it's saved and it's this gift that is so much bigger than we could ever comprehend and better and salvation and then all of a sudden it's raised to heavenly places and hope and covenants of promise and made high nigh 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 (laughs) (laughs) both it's fine yeah then all of a sudden it's like this moment that's like oh wait the good actually gets better Mm -hmm. because he's not going to give up on you after he saves you yeah yeah And you see him talk all throughout all of these verses. And even verse 10, which I just can't even begin to describe how much I love it. He's like, oh, wait, you're actually his work. Like his most prized possession, the best thing he ever made is you. You don't give up on someone like that. Yeah. That you put your whole life into. Mm -hmm. So he's still there, you know? And then he's like, and, and you were created unto good works, like that he had something in mind for you to be, not just a creation, but a child that would grow up in grace, that would grow up in character, that would grow up in, you know, in attributes and, and all of those things. And so it's like, both of them are so, Paul is so like quick to say, we were saved, we were dead, and he saved us. Now let's continue to live in him and live in hope and live in promise and come closer and closer to him throughout our lives and become more and more like him. It's so awesome, both of those together. And one of the things that he teaches us in uh, is, um, oh, I was just caught up by that verse 14, for he is our peace. Verse 14, mm-hmm. we should have added that word onto that list also in verse 14, just because of that shalom, that wholeness. That's in him, he is our wholeness. We become complete. We become the version of ourselves. Uh, Like I I was just listening to this podcast the other day, just about relationships and somebody talking about they, they they discover more who they are in a relationship than they do individually. And I, there's something about that. It's got my mind thinking. It's not fully Hmm. developed yet. What I think about that, but just like, oh, that I actually am like, Somebody will say, I, I need to separate from everybody to discover who I am. Ooh. But 
it was talking about act, we actually discover more of who we are within a relationship and maybe particularly in a relationship with, with him. So verse 14, add that in there um, also, because I think that would be a, a great one to add in. Okay, this next one is gift giver. Oh, you just are going to love this so much. Um, it starts in chapter four, but we're kind of going to bounce around in this one because you can't help it. Yeah, and look, yeah, we're adding a couple different verses that help with the study as, as you go through it, but let's start in chapter four. And if you're just listening, well, we'll tell you where we go when yeah, we go there, yeah, if you're yeah. listening. So we'll start in verse four, in chapter four. And I love the way he starts because he's going to talk about, you already saw it, about the best gift ever. Um, but before he starts about talking about that, he actually just starts talking about Jesus. And you see it begin in verse 7, and it goes all the way through verse 10. But there's this moment when he starts talking that I am obsessed with, that it wants to talk about almost like everywhere Jesus went, that he ascended and he descended and he went to the lowest parts of the earth. And it's almost like Paul wants you to know, listen, Jesus has seen it all. He's seen everything you could ever possibly imagine. He has seen it. And I think maybe it's because inherently I'm a little bit of a doubter. Like Mm. my parents will tell you that this is true about me. That like someone wants to give me a solution and every single time I like want to push back. And I'm like, well, how do you know? Like, where did you get, like, why do you think that's the best idea here? Like, it just like is in me. And I love that Paul wants to start and he's like going to give credibility to Jesus. Mm. He's like, listen. He's seen it all. He has been everywhere. He knows every like situation that's going on. He has been to the very lowest parts. He has ascended. He's done it all. Yeah, and, and ascended I, in verse 10, up far above all heavens, right? And in your mind, you think, oh, heaven's the top, right? Yeah. And it's like, he's ascended above <laughs> that and below the lowest parts of the earth. You know, it's just. And it's so cute because then doesn't it make you want to think that he's just like, listen, I saw everyone. You know, mm. that it's not, he's like, I didn't miss a single one of you. Right. The people that feel like they are living in their highest high right now and the people that feel like they are living in their lowest low, I see you both and I actually have something for both of you. Mm. And sometimes I think we separate that and we're like, oh, I don't need that anymore because mm. I like grew out of that place. Mm. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. This is actually going to be something that every single person everywhere needs to hear. And then he starts announcing this gift, which is so cute. And I love that he wants to call it a gift. Yeah, um, it's in um, verse 8. Yes. When he says, and gave gifts. after he went up on the highest high, he came back and gave gifts unto everybody. Which you love. <laughs> it's like Santa. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah, it's we Christmas, love that extra. Christmas morning. And um, he starts explaining the gift in verse like 11, and it goes through 13. That He says, listen, I'm going to give you apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He's like, listen, the best thing I could give you, no matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what circumstance you're in, you all actually just need this gift. Let me, I, you all need it. Jesus said, I saw everything and this is what I want to give you. And all of a sudden it's prophets and apostles. Yeah. And almost, I won't even lie to you. Like I like when I was studying this, I like stopped and I was like, out of everything, I was like, that was his like, (laughs) he's like for everyone in the whole world, this is it. And it like really for real made me stop and think, do I cherish the words of the prophets and the apostles? Like it was the exact thing Jesus thought I needed. Mm. 
Like, out of everything, am I, like, that's a bold claim for Jesus to be like, wherever you are in your life right now, this is actually probably going to be the thing that helps. Like, let me give this to you. And it's the words of prophets and apostles. And do I study them like that? Mm. You know? Yeah. Do I care about them? Like, that is for real going to be, like, exactly what I need. It's going to unify me, and it's going to give me mercy, and it's going to build me up. It's going to teach me how to, like become something more it's going to show me what i need to do to work in the life of ministry like am i studying it do i care about it enough to become that person yeah and i think it's awesome to look at that whole list and to think first i'm having these two thoughts one is everyone who's an apostle and everyone who's a prophet and everyone who's an evangelist and if you look in the footnote evangelist that could be a patriarch is one option of that um pastors could be a bishop or anyone who kind of pastors or looks over you and teachers of every kind. That each of these, uh, an apostle was once a little kid and a prophet was once a little kid. They were just a regular person that God gifted with a particular um, measure of grace. Paul's going to use the phrase, a dispensation of grace that was given to them and a particular gifting that was given to them in order to like bless other people. And so it's neat to see that like, oh, look at what Christ has done with somebody so ordinary. Mm. And now look at what he's doing through somebody so ordinary also. Someone ordinary made extraordinary in him. And there's something that's really neat about that. That it's just like that he uses those people who are here with us, like on this earth together. And he and endows them with certain gifts. And then you, it's just really, really cool to think through that. It might be fun to think through, like, to look at the um, the intention, the perfecting of saints or the becoming of better, uh, the work of the ministry for the encouraging and strengthening of the body of Christ, for unity's purpose in verse 13, for knowledge of the Son of Man, um, 14, in verse 14, so that you're not confused or pushed around or deceived anymore. So there were like six things there. Did, I, did we list like six things? Yeah. I don't know. Something that, and it would be neat to think through when is a prophet or apostle done one of those for me? When have they given me knowledge of the son of God? Or when have they helped encourage me? Or then take, how about a patriarch? When has a patriarch done something like that? Put my feet on solid truth. When has a teacher done one of those things? So it might be neat to like take the, the list of those people, apostles, prophets, patriarchs, bishops, or other leaders, teachers, and then make a list over on the other side of from verses 12, 13, and 14. Um, oh, and 15, speaking the truth in love. Like put that in there for sure and say, you know, when has a teacher spoken the truth in love? When have they set your on solid ground when have they that could be a really really cool i think discussion to have and and something to think about your own man how have they been a gift to me like list out the gifts you know that god has given in people to me well and i think it's super interesting i just started thinking this when you were talking is i feel like that is a discussion that i am having so much right now Mm. in my seminary class with my friends my age even like just everywhere is, okay, well, what is the actual role of the prophet and apostles and do we need them? And what about a bishop? Like, do I need, what's his job? Do I actually need that? And kind of unpacking it. And I think this is probably one of the coolest places you could go to 
as a family, as a Sunday school teacher, as whoever you are, to sit down and just unpack both those two things and maybe even start backwards and start at like the role of everything and be like, why would you need this right now? Mm -hmm. You know, like, why do you think at what circumstance do you think that you would need, especially like you look at verse 14 and it's like talking and it wants to be like, you are like, people are getting tossed everywhere. Like you are getting tossed left and right. You are so confused and be like, okay, where do you see that Right in life right now? And go through all of these circumstances because I think it would almost open people's eyes because it just opened mine to be like, oh, I see the need because I'm living this life right now. Like everything, I actually do need that. And then be like, okay, Jesus actually saw every single person in these circumstances and his answer were these people. And then all of a sudden sitting down and being like, okay, list this out. When have you seen this actually be a gift? When have they done this? Because all of a sudden then it's like, wait, I actually cherish that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take advantage of that mm-hmm. anymore. I don't want to overlook them because I need them. Right. You know? And it's also that this will come sometime right near general conference. So it's a fantastic like timing of this. I'm not even sure which. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the week, the week up. Yeah. yeah. The, week, the week of, or you might watch this the week after or something like that. Yeah. But, but a fantastic chance. Like even as you sit and listen to conference or look at it later, it's just like, Man, where, where do we see some of these things happening in the words they were given? And that verse I was looking for back, is in, it's in chapter 3, verse 2, um, where it says, you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word. Uh, anyways, in other words, I was given a certain measure of grace, a certain gifting of power by God for you. To do something. And I think it would be important to help people understand that. that just like, oh, people are given, a certain, prophets and apostles are given a certain dispensation of grace to do the calling that they were given to do. And patriarchs were given a certain dispensation of grace in order to do the calling that they were given to do. And I, and I think that's important to understand that, you know, to look at, okay, yes, you are a human being. Yes, you are a flawed person. Yes, you are, are you make mistakes, but you are given a dispensation of grace and order for me word, <laughs> you know, toward me, like to help me like bring about those, you know, um, especially that one toss to and fro. I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's like, what a great description of life. Right. Right. Where it's just like, I am, I am in a tailspin. Someone could say emotionally, mentally, you know, um, whatever, spiritually. Like, that is what it means to be tossed to and fro. Like, I just don't feel like I have my feet solid in something. Just like, well, this is why God has given these people to us, these gifts, their gifts from on high in order to bring this about, you know, mm. which is cool. Um, This is actually where our word for Jesus comes from is kind of this same topic And it's going to go back to chapter two. And if you go, it starts in like 19 and it goes through um, 22. And it's going to build on this idea that says like, wait, you actually, in verse 20, you see it. The foundation is going to be apostles and prophets, which if you know anything about foundations, that's vital, right? Like it's like, oh, this is going to be so important. And then he just builds on it even more. And he says, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. 
Um, which is the coolest idea of thinking this actually all builds on each other. Mm-hmm. That's why we have prophets and apostles is actually to build on what Jesus is giving us. We need that all. That's the whole purpose is that we're going to have this all together. And cornerstone, so cornerstone's the word and comes from that. And I just love that it's just like place at an extreme corner, the corner foundation stone, keystone. Don't forget that this is the most important thing. We have it all. It's all built on each other, but it's him. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was just looking for this um, line by Joseph Smith that you've heard so much where he just says, the fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day and ascended into heaven. And all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it. And I just love that it's like this, the fundamental principles are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, right? That they are the foundation of prophets and apostles, but connected to him. The strength is, it's like, oh, we're, we, our job is to connect you to him. That's what we do, right? Um, this next part, just this darling little spot in here that makes you want to go back to I, the last time I remember this happening. I, I, maybe it's, it's happened since then, but I just remember president Hinckley, um, in a youth devotional when I was, I don't, I, I can't remember if, if I was a leader or if I was a youth, I can't even remember, right? Because he was president of the church in the time when I was a teenager and then all sure. the way through, through, but he, um, prayed for, um, in the devotional that I was in. And, and I was just like, I, oh, I don't recall hearing prophets and apostles pray very often. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. You know, where you're just like, oh, they usually it's give true. a speech or something. Yeah. But like, oh, I don't get a chance to actually hear them pray. And there's this spot in Ephesians chapter three where Paul, I call it Paul's prayer. And it just, it just starts in verse 14. And Verse 13 is actually a better place to start. He says, wherefore, I desire that you faint not. And, and he says in 14, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named for to offer this prayer. And, and there's something about that where he's just like, can I please pray for you? And he prays this, that he, God would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Man, I just, I'm already like loving this. And it's making me think about um, when in Israel, in Jerusalem, the Western Wall, and it's a, you may know it's a custom and practice there to write down a prayer and to put it into the wall in, in Jerusalem. And, 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 uh, and just how, what a privilege it is to be able to pray for other people. Um, but this is what he says, that, that you would be strengthened, that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith, that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Don't you want to just like pray this prayer for someone? I just yes. want to take these and, and just pray them for somebody. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth all knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the best prayer ever, everybody. I can't find a better one. Now unto him 
that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And at the end of the prayer, to just remember that he who we're petitioning is able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything that you even think to ask for. Just use your biggest imagination and he will exceed your expectations even there. And, and this, I just, I love this prayer and I want to read it and think to myself, who, who can I pray the same um, prayer for, you know, sometime this week? And for me, it just is that verse 20. I want to frame that in my every room of my house because it just makes me want to think, am I praying big enough? Mm. Because if he can do even more than the best I can dream, like maybe I should start praying bigger. Pray bigger, yeah. And pray bigger for others. Right? Yeah. You know? And yeah. I, I love thinking of all like that the list. It just almost like helps me so easy to get caught into like a just a, a rhythm of rote prayer and just to look at his prayer and to think of all these things that he actually, that he prays for for people. Who do you know that needs to be strengthened with might by his spirit into the inner man? right into the core. And who do you know that needs to be rooted and grounded in love? And who needs to comprehend the breadth, length, and depth and height of the love of Christ? And who needs to know that he can do even more than you think or ask? Like That's just uh, and to pray that prayer for them. Um, this is going to come up again in this next part uh, at the very end. But right here, this is one of the most famous spots in all the New Testament. Um, the armor of God, Ephesians chapter six. And and Paul is going to, uh, again, come back to the idea of this is a wrestle. This is a battle and this is a fight. He starts off in chapter six with this. This is the reason people need prayer. He says in 10, verse 10, finally, my brothers, my sisters, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Those also are, grace words. And he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You have to say it with that kind of thing. For we (laughs) wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is such a freaky verse, verse 12. It makes you feel like we are outnumbered, (laughs) right? Is what it makes you think. But I also think it's important that Paul is super clear about, the, you know, that this is an unfair fight here, right? As, as big as you make the wiles of the devil seem, we've already seen that God is, is much bigger. But I think he's trying to help us understand that evil is a reality. The battle is a reality. That there actually is um, forces that are organized to go uh, against you, that are seeking for your failure, for your doubt, for your, uh, you know, um, fill in the blank right there. But I just think it's important to know, like, wait, there actually is an opposition in this world. There is an opposition to good. There is an opposition to holiness. There is an opposition to your, your success, to your happiness, in opposition to God. There is one. It exists. And it's in 
high places and low places. And it's among rulers and principalities. And it's like in all the places in this world. And you just ought to be aware of it. Maybe the first part of armoring up is understanding that it's actually a reality. Well, and it's so interesting because there's so much of us. Like this really is probably the most famous chapter in this book, right? Like everyone knows about the armor of God. And we love it. Like, we love to talk about it. And then it's so funny to me because, like, I was thinking this the other day is that, like, when it rains, like, I love to say that I love the rain. And then it starts raining and I run, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, got to get inside. Like, I'm like, oh, no. Or, like, I love to, like, run through the sprinklers. Like, I loved that as a kid. And now, like, the sprinklers come on at my house every single day. And, like, I, like, am trying to do anything I possibly can to, like, get around the sprinklers. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, I hate this every single morning. And it makes me think that I wonder if God sometimes looks at us and he's like, you love the armor of God. The armor of God is to fight, not to go inside your house, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, wait, you're going to love this. What I'm about to give you, you're going to love. Don't back away from the fight. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like, you, you love it. You actually do. So start fighting. Because also, I think sometimes we expect after the fight to, like, have a relax and I think God looks and he actually rewards us with a bigger fight. Hmm. You know? Yeah. And it's almost this moment that it's like, listen, I'm going to be so real. This is so hard. I'm not giving you armor to run away. Hmm. I'm giving you armor to fight. Yeah. And a promise in here in verse 13, which is, and, and at the end of it all, you will be standing. Like, I, I actually don't care about wiles and wrestling and rulers and darkness and and wickedness right use all the big scary words that you want in the end and the last day you will be standing and i'm going to give you the strength and the power and the advice and the and the gifts and everything you need in order for that to happen stand therefore he says in verse 14 like you were saying so stand make a stand take a stand I'll teach you how to fight. Yeah, against this, right? And then he's going to go through the different aspects of the armor of God. And, and this is what we did for our the word sheet for this week, obviously, because it's this super Hello. rad section, and everybody kind of loves studying this. I think one of the, um, uh, what do you say, uh, pitfalls of the armor of God is that we've heard it so much that it almost becomes like, oh, yeah, I, I already know that. Particularly for an adult who... When you hear armor of God, like my mind all of a sudden goes to like kids armor. Like it feels like a kiddie lesson to me. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, you're supposed to like take this to primary and dress someone in the helmet and stuff like that. And it yeah. makes it like, oh, super cutesy and everything like that. And I think it's important to know like we never grow out mm. of the armor of God. And and it would be important to like consider and, and think through like, okay, what has God given us? What are the other gifts? We've already talked about prophets, apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists, right? And talk about what are these other gifts he's given us to stand there for in this battle. This worksheet has all like space all around it and on the back if you printed it out and everything. And you can use this any way that you'd like. If, if it's a little bit simpler, you can have people go through and just write, oh, okay, what are the different um, helmet of salvation? You know, put that there. You might put the breastplate of righteousness right here. And you might just keep it as simple as labeling it that's something you might do or you might kind of go to town on it depending on you know how the 
who's actually studying this and looking at it. If it's an, a little bit older of a group, this is something that you might consider having a discussion about. You might think through, start with the helmet of salvation, for example, and ask the question, okay, in battle, what do helmets protect? And people are like, oh, the head. Great. Okay, but this is a symbolic armor, a symbolic battle. So what's the head symbolize? Like God's not really trying to protect our heads. What's he trying to protect? This is just my initial like idea is I thought, oh, maybe that's your thoughts. He was like, I would like to protect your thoughts. And he's like, with what? And he says, it's a helmet of salvation. He's like, I'd like to protect your thoughts with salvation. And it's like, okay, that would be a great discussion to say, like, what's the connection between those two things? What is, how, what's salvation have to do with protecting my thoughts? Which is even cooler because, like, your mind automatically probably has started to already connect it, which I love because even just barely, like, I was like, oh, why, what is the actual connection? And then it was so cool that we already just talked about grace and salvation. And I was like, oh, anxiety. That salvation will, like those thoughts of anxiety that I feel, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, actually, that's why I need to think about salvation. It's mm. because I don't have to be anxious anymore. I can live saved. Yeah. You in know? liberty. That's what we talked about last week. Like live yeah. in liberty. Live in save. Saved. Live in <laughs> salvation. Live in hope. Like what yeah. are some other words that you would use, you know, for salvation? salvation. Set free. Right. You're you. All of those things are, are um, sometimes I think about this idea of my thoughts are protected when my mind goes to thoughts of salvation. Cool. And if you were to say picture salvation. You know, you could picture heaven, you could picture clouds and sunshine and, you know, whatever that um, a celestial room or something. Or you could picture salvation himself. And if thoughts of Jesus fill my mind, then my thoughts are, my thoughts are protected, mm. you know? So you see how like, there's a lot of cool discussions here. The breastplate, what do breastplates protect? In real life armor, they protect your, your hearts, your guts, your, like your, 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 the core of you, you know? And so what might that be symbolically? And it's like, oh man, those are your, those are your emotions. Those are your intentions. Those are the things that are most vital to you. And what, what are they protected with? In here, it says they're protected with the breastplate of righteousness. It's like, okay, how does righteousness protect, you know, your heart, your emotions? And I want to say, you, the thing that could wreck your emotions the most is, is guilt, sin, and righteousness, repentance, as part of that, can protect your emotions, that can protect your heart, that can protect the things that are most vital to you. And you could go through each of them and, and do all of those things. Truth, this belt is like, um, protects your loins, right? Um, like get all the giggles out, you know? And just, but it's just like, oh, um, chastity. It protects chastity. It protects that procreative power in you. How does truth do that? If you understood the truth, about God, about his power, about his intentions, about, um, you know, about chastity, would it protect you? Would you think differently? Would you act differently about that if you actually understood the truth? And so you, there's just so many cool things that you can do with, with this and have a discussion and turn the whole thing, as you can see right here, a little bit messy, you know, as you go through. 
Um, I think one thing that's really awesome about this. Oh, say what you want to say about this, Grace, because I thought that was so cool about the feet. The oh, boot, the boots. Well, or whatever. I feel like this is just a testament to how the discussions on this are so cool, because even when we were planning, we just accidentally had one, you know, right. it just like once you start thinking, it's just like your mind can't help it. And we started talking about your feet and we were kind of trying to figure it out because it, the verse almost seems confusing that it's like with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then we kind of unpacked it a little bit more and like used another translation of the Bible. We were like, what does that phrase even mean? Yeah. And then it like brought us to the word like ready, like your feet are ready because of the gospel of peace. And I was just like, oh, that's so interesting that peace is the last word that I think of when I think of battle. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're actually ready because of. Yeah. It's a different kind of battle. Right. You know, all of a sudden it's like, wait, actually you can stand ready because you are at peace. The, the gospel has brought you peace. It's just different. It's a cool way of all of a sudden it's like, this, is, this isn't the fight that you're thinking of. It's actually a bigger and more important one. And one that's actually found, like founded in peace. Yeah. And it's neat that you're just like, I'm actually ready for anything. I'm ready for any bad news. I'm ready for any diagnosis. I'm ready mm. for anything that's going to come. Like I'm on steady ground here. There's just so much that you can have as, as it is above all in 16. Take the shield of faith. Trust is another word for that in God. And I love that he's going to add in here, praying always, verse 18, with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching there into with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So there's something really cool here because there's this verse in Isaiah 52, 12, which if you add on, because every single one of these parts of the armor of God seem to be talking about, um, these are like in the front, you know, sword and the shield and the helmet and the breastplate and, and all of these things. So it leaves you saying like, wait, who's got my back, you know? <laughs> and so if you add in 52, 12 into it, it just says this verse, for you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be, will be your rearward, that he will have your back. But I also love that those other verses in there say, and ha have each other's back in here. Pray for each other. Per what were the words? I have to get back to the um, in there. Watchful for people. Pray for their perseverance for the perseverance for all saints, be always looking out for each other to have each other's back when you're doing this. Pray Paul's prayer for other people that you know and, and love and look out for each other. And at the end of the day, each of those things, like Isaiah says, our faith is a name for Jesus. Truth is a name for Jesus. The word of God is a name for Jesus. Peace, wholeness is a word for Jesus. Righteousness salvation where he just says put on the strength of god given in the gift of uh, of jesus and stand in in this battle and i i think that's um beautiful to think about it's like oh man above all trust in and you'll be okay he's with you in the fight yeah right all right y'all we'll see you next week This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.